Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to work real hard to avoid some of the uh, emotional landmines that are out there for me to step on, uh, but it's really hard to do. I've um, enjoyed the study on heaven, and again, as I said last weekend, I hope I can pour out of me into you what some of the things God is teaching me and giving me encouragement and giving me hope uh, through this season of my life. So we talked about last weekend, life is seasonal. It is seasonal. In Ecclesiastes 3, he said, to everything there is a, a season. You're in a season of life. Some of you are empty nesters, some of you have the kids in school, some of you are going through a season of life that you haven't been through before. I've learned that if you're going to get something from God you've never had before, you have to be willing to go somewhere with God you've never been before. And that's not always an easy path, and life is seasonal. You go through seasons where your fields get plowed. You ever had your field plowed under? <laughs> gone through a relational issue where your field was plowed under, maybe a job, a career where your field was plowed under, maybe the sickness or the loss of a loved one, and suddenly your field is plowed under. I can relate to that. So your fields get plowed under, oftentimes it gets broken up so that God can do something significant and he pours into that which he's broken up. I always have heard it said, don't waste your trouble. Try to figure out what God's trying to teach you in the midst of it. And I found in my life when the, when the fertile soil of my heart is broken up, it's because God is sowing something into my life and he's doing that in yours as well. So you have a season of plowing, a season of planting. And then there's the refreshment that comes, the waters, where he pours into your soul and you get refreshed and you find joy in the midst of sorrow and suddenly you're being refreshed, but all of a sudden you go into the next season of life where you're getting fertilized. <laughs> And you have to get fertilized or nothing will grow. Fertilizer falls in everybody's life. It's going to happen. It's a season. Anybody in a fertilizing season this morning? Three of you. It's seasonal. So he said to everything there is a season. And then he said there is a time given to every purpose under heaven. So what I found as we talked last weekend that God will give us time as long as he has given us purpose. And in all of this, God is preparing, he's working, he's doing things. Someone has well said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God is at work, and sometimes God does his deepest work in the darkest moments. It was in the silence of the cross where the skies turned as black as midnight at noonday when the father turned his back on his son, that salvation was perfected. God sometimes does his deepest work in the darkest moments of your life. But there's a, a purpose. And as long as there's purpose, God gives us time. Now I had to come to terms with the idea that his purpose is not always my purpose. God seldom asks me permission for anything he does. God seldom explains himself. And I found in my life, and perhaps you found this in yours, that God works providentially 
I don't work that way. Providence means pro video. Pro is to see ahead or the idea of forefront or for forward thinking pro video to see ahead. I don't have that benefit. I see life a frame at a time, a day at a time, and that's how I live life and you live it the same way. And I'm just suggesting to you that God sees the, the beginning from the end. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the A and the Z. He's the engine and the, he sees all the little cars in between. So God knows what's best for us and he can be trusted. And I'm saying to your heart this morning that he will give us time as long as we have purpose. So last week we kind of launched the series with the idea of God's purpose and how in his providential time he decided it was time uh, for my Cindy to go home. I'm doing better with this now, as you can tell. <laughs> and I've just found in my life that uh, some of the dark periods and some of the difficult periods of life are some of the times that God sensitizes us to what he's doing around us. Let me give you a verse that kind of blew me away this last week. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 17. This is kind of parenthetical to our note. But in Matthew 28, 17, the apostles have just seen Jesus alive. They saw him crucified, now they see him risen. <laughs> and the Bible says in Matthew 28, 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. Well, I get that. Man, they saw him go to the cross and now he's alive and they're so pumped, they're so excited, they cannot believe it. So the natural reaction to that is just, they just worshiped him. But keep reading. You know what the rest of the verse says? But some doubted. What? Do you know you could be a worshiper and a doubter? Did you know on one hand you can worship God and you can see the resurrected Savior by faith through your eyes of faith and know what you know, and yet while in the midst of your worship there can be doubts. You can be in here singing all the songs that we've sung or viewing the service online and experiencing God in a meaningful, deep, incredible way, and in the back of your mind that little thought kind of creeps up on you. I hope this is true. I hope this is real. I hope you'll really forgive me. I hope I can begin again. These were the apostles. These were the 11 that were so close to him. These guys were tight with Jesus. And I mean, if an apostle could worship on one hand and doubt on the other, then don't beat yourself up when you go through those periods of time. It's gonna happen. In fact, in the upper room when Jesus was talking to his apostles, and if you have a Bible, look with me in John 14. It's the basis of our time together. In John 14, Jesus says to them, they finally connected dots. They finally realized that he is actually going to die. He had been telling them for three years. He had been trying to prepare them for this event for three years. He was saying to them, guys, I'm on a mission. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to leave you. I won't be here forever. We're just together for a period of time. And at the end of that time, my purpose here is up and I'm going to my father. I'm going to the cross. But before I go to my father, I'm going to die. And they're finally coming to terms with that reality. When I think about that, what I think about is the fact that it doesn't matter how long you have to prepare for the loss of a loved one or the home going of a loved one, you're, you're never really fully prepared. They knew it was going to happen. They knew it was going to occur. 
But when that moment came and when that departure occurred, their hearts were troubled. And Jesus said to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Now notice what he did not say. He did not say, let not your hearts grieve. Now this is important. Grief is a healthy process. It's hard, but it's healthy. And in your grief, if you don't allow yourself to grieve, if you don't allow yourself to cry when you need to cry, to feel what you're feeling when you feel it, if you suppress that, many psychologists and even medical personnel will tell you that will have a negative effect on you, not only emotionally, but even physiologically. It can affect you when you don't allow yourself to grieve. Strongest man that ever lived, strongest man that ever lived was Jesus. The shortest verse of the Bible, you know what it is? John 11, Jesus wept. Guys, he gives us permission <laughs> to feel what you feel when you're feeling it. It's okay. It's not a sign of weakness. It might be a sign of strength. Someone says it takes a very strong man to cry and it takes an even stronger man to laugh at that man when he cries. <laughs> I'm just suggesting that Jesus did not say, don't grieve. You need to grieve. The difference is, as Paul said, we don't grieve as people who have no hope. We have hope. That's what I'm talking about this morning. We, we have the hope of heaven. But Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. There's a difference between having a troubled heart and a grieving heart. You know what it is? The Greek language, the idea of troubled heart, troubled is to be confused, to be conflicted, to be full of anxiety, to be anxious, to be uncertain. The heart is the core of who we are. We say to people, I love you with all my heart. What we mean by that is with all that I am and everything that I can be, I love all that you are. The core of us is our heart. It's our mind, our intellect, our emotion, our will. All of that is our heart. That's why he said guard your heart because out of your heart go all the issues of life. Your heart dictates the direction of your life. Your heart dictates the attitude and outlook of life. And when you have a troubled heart, everything else in your world can get off kilter. So Jesus said, guard your heart. Don't let your heart be troubled, be full of anxiety, to be uncertain, to be confused, to be conflicted. You say, well, that's great. How do we keep that from happening? Well, he tells us right here. It's in the imperative. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus said, focus on the right person. You're focused on the storm, focus on the one who can walk on the water. He said, trust in me, believe in me. The first way to deal with a troubled heart, ladies and gentlemen, is to put your trust in Jesus. And can I say this morning, you can be right about so many things theologically, you can be right on everything theologically, but if you're wrong about Jesus, it doesn't matter what you're right about. The only difference in eternity, the only thing that matters between heaven and hell, the only thing that matters is my faith in Jesus. Jesus will later say in the same passage, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father, Jesus will say, except by me. And so he says to these apostles, your hearts are troubled, you're conflicted, you're confused. You don't know what's happening and you don't know why it's happening. You've got all this turmoil going on in your life. Focus, he said, trust me. And I'll tell you what I found in the midst of what I'm going through is God can be trusted. You know why I trust him? Is he cannot fail. 
He can't fail. It's not his nature to fail. He can't fail. He can't lie. He's the friend that will come into your life if every other friend walks out of your life. That's why it says concerning Jesus in the book of Hebrews, it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I've shared this with you, but it bears repeating. There's two different ideas conveyed in the verse. To leave means to remove one's physical presence from another. To forsake means to disconnect emotionally from that person. You can be connected to someone physically, you are disconnected from emotionally. Conversely, you can be connected to someone emotionally, you are not presently with physically. And Jesus is saying into our human experience, he said, you can trust me because I will never move my presence from you and I will never emotionally forsake you. I'm with you. If you're in a storm, I'm there. If you're in a valley, I'm there. When your heart is troubled, I'm there. I don't leave you. So he said, trust me. And then isn't it interesting, the very next thing he talks to him about is, in my father's house, talks about heaven. <laughs> How do you deal with a troubled heart? Trust in Jesus and have the hope of heaven. In my father's house are many mansions. And I love this line, if it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus said, if there were no heaven, I'd tell you, I'd put the cards on the table. <laughs> Why would I lie? I don't lie. If, there were no, if there's no heaven, if there's no heaven, if there's nothing beyond this veil of tears, when it's over, if it's just it, if that's it, he said, I would have told you. I wouldn't give you a false hope. I wouldn't play on your emotions. I wouldn't take advantage of you when you're weak and vulnerable emotionally. He said, if there were no heaven, I would have told you. Then he moves right off of that thought to say, I go. I go to do what? Prepare. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Receive you unto myself, and I love this, that where I am, he said there, you may be also. I wanna just share with you a few thoughts before we go home this morning, and again, this is not a deep dive, it's not a big expository exposition on heaven. We don't have time for that. What this sermon is, is a travel pamphlet. <laughs> I'm gonna open it up and show you a little bit of it and flip it and show you the other side of it to whet your appetite and hopefully you'll wanna go with me there one day. I'm just being honest. But here's the first thing I wanna tell you about heaven, the place. Number one, it is certain. It's certain. Many people say, well, it's just a myth. Stephen Hawking said it's a fairy tale. A lot of people say it's a state of mind. Heaven is not a literal, real place. It's just an idea. It's, it's just something that someone came up with to give people hope when they're going through a difficult time. It's, it's not a real place. Heaven is not a real place. Well, don't take my word for it. Take the words of our Lord. Jesus said in just two places here that I've read, and by the way, it's over 535 times in the Bible heaven's talked about. But in these three verses, and I've read two, and two out of the three, he talks about heaven, and he uses this word, place. It's significant in the Greek, it's topos. T-O-P-O-S, topos. We get the word topography from that. Jesus said, I go to prepare a topos, a place. And if I go to prepare a topos, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Heaven is as real as Fort Worth, Texas. 
Heaven is a real, literal. When Jesus spoke of heaven, he didn't speak of it in the abstract. He he didn't speak of it as an idea that uh, we could aspire to. He talked about heaven as my father's house. (laughs) It's a place, it's topos, it's, it's real. It is a literal place. And Jesus promised this place, this place, incredible place called heaven. Isn't it interesting that in Matthew chapter six, when he was teaching us how to pray, he didn't say, our father who art in a state of mind, hallowed be thy name. Our father who are in the abstract. You know, he said, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Bible is always referring to heaven as a place. And Jesus twice here says it is topos. It is a real, literal place, this place called heaven. Let me give you some certain things about this place called heaven. Luke chapter 10, verse 20, our names are written there. Do you know the moment you trusted Jesus as your savior, your name was written in heaven? It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. He's written your name. Right now, as I stand before you, my name is written in heaven. In Philippians chapter three, verse 20, he says, now our citizenship is in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. Matthew 6, verse 20, the Bible says, our treasures are in heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, our loved ones who died are in heaven. Isaiah 63, verse 15 says, our God and our Savior are in heaven. It is the home, he says in Isaiah, or the abode of God. And let me, I don't want to scare you mules, but let me give this to you. In 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 3, you and I are one heartbeat away from heaven. How close is heaven? Heartbeat. <laughs> Listen to this, 1 Samuel 20, verse three, there is but a step between me and death. I'm one step from going home to be with my savior. I'm one step from being in the presence of my Lord. Let me tell you what I've learned over the last couple of months. And that is how fast, how fast you can go from making memories to suddenly living on memories. It's a heartbeat. You go from having new adventures to reflecting and remembering the adventures that you had. It's fast. It's a step. It's a heartbeat. When John wrote about heaven, John said in chapter one, verse two of Revelation, he said, I saw this with my own eyes. He says in verse 10, I I heard some things. I heard it. Verse 17, he said, man, I felt these things. And what's amazing, when you read Revelation and you read chapter one, Jesus has his back. He said, he's right, John's right. This is the revelation of Jesus. This is what I've revealed to John. John saw it and his revelation is true. You can have faith and confidence in what John says, I saw. But let me tell you, with, with John's incredible mind and with his ability to write, he didn't even have the ability to capture the magnificence of heaven. In fact, he has to use negatives in order to describe it. He says, there's just, there's no sorrow there. I didn't see, I didn't see anybody sorrowful. I didn't see a hospital up there. I didn't see anybody sick. I didn't see any more little sick babies. I didn't see sick kids. I didn't see any separation. There weren't people walking out of the door and walking out on somebody and leaving them. I, I didn't see that. I didn't see a funeral home. I didn't see a cemetery. He said, I saw a place, a real place, this place called heaven. So it's certain. Second thought, 
It's celestial, meaning it's somewhere above. Say, where's heaven? Up. <laughs> Isn't that profound? <laughs> well, it's relative, right? Up from Texas is here, but if you're in Australia, up's a different way. Up's out. So is it up or out? It's up and out. In fact, when you read the scripture, the Bible, get this, orients heaven in the north. There's a magnetic pull, you know, toward the north. Our compasses will point toward the north. There's something significant about finding direction with the north star. When the record is given about the devil becoming the devil when pride filled his heart and he led a rebellion in heaven against God and God cast he and all of his angels out of heaven, one of the things the devil said he desired to do was build his throne above God's and he described it as being in the north. There are other verses, Psalms and other places. If you have a good concordance, you can find and track this down and I encourage you to do it. But it's my conviction that heaven is somewhere up north. Somewhere north, oriented north, no matter where you are on the earth, north is always the same direction. <laughs> so I believe heaven is up, it's where Jesus is. It's the boat of the Father, but I think it's up somewhere, somewhere north. Hmm. When Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12 about the vision he had from heaven, he refers to three heavens. And I think we would all agree there are three heavens. There is an atmospheric heaven, that's where the birds fly, where the planes fly. That's where the clouds are. There's an atmospheric heaven. We know about that. We call it a troposphere. In fact, in Psalm 147, verse 8, it talks about that type of heaven. So there's the first heaven, which is where the clouds are, and we enjoy that heaven every day. There's a second heaven. It's called an astronomical heaven, a planetary heaven. It's the heaven that... Uh, David wrote about in Psalm 8 when he said, when I consider the works of the hands, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful or the son of man that you visit him. So David was watching sheep looking up into the sky, looking at the stars and the moon, and he was just in awe. And not only has God created the earth, but he's created the heavens and the vast regions of space. So there is this, this, this uh, uh, place this place called heaven, and it's an astronomical, it's a planetary heaven, but that's not the heaven where God resides. We'd have found him. We would have seen him. Hubble would have found him. The telescope. We spotted heaven. There he is. So it's somewhere beyond that. So it's not this atmospheric heaven. It's not this astronomical heaven. Let me give it to you this way. It's an ascension heaven. It is a heaven beyond those heavens. It's the heaven in Acts chapter one where the angel said, as Jesus was ascending into that heaven, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into the heavens? The same Jesus which was taken up from you will so come again in like manner as you've seen him go. So Jesus ascended into the third heaven. The third heaven is where God resides. There is a heaven beyond the heavens that we're able to see and even the heavens that we're able to describe. The Bible refers to heaven as a city. A city. An incredible city. He, he says it's a city with streets of gold, with a river that runs through it, with uh, walls of jasper, with a gate of pearl. He describes it in such beautiful, incredible terms. He's using these ideas and these beautiful concepts of beauty to describe everything that he's seeing in heaven. And again, John's limited by vocabulary to really adequately capture all of what heaven is. 
That's why the text for our series is eye hasn't seen, neither ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is beyond description, but it is a city. He said it's a city four square, 1,500 miles in every direction. Someone has done the calculation on that. I wasn't a good math student, I'll be honest about that. I was in the top four of my math class. I was a D student, so I'm kind of proud of that. <laughs> so I'll take the word of other people. They say on one level in heaven, on just one level in heaven, 1,500 miles square, some of you uh, brainiacs, you go do the math. But on one level in heaven, heaven will be about two and a quarter million square miles. They went on to discover that 100 billion people could occupy that level of heaven, 100 billion people. That means we'd all have a nice place and a little ranch on the side. That's pretty good. So never think of the city of heaven as being overcrowded or too full or how does everyone from Adam up to this time and to the time Jesus, how will we fit? We'll fit. There's plenty of room. Besides that, we're just not going to occupy a city of heaven. It's going to be so much more. In fact, I believe when God created the heavens, and the earth he created in perfection. I think once the earth began to decline, we have the declining of the earth. In fact, in Acts chapter eight, it talks about the earth groaning. Creation groans, it yearns to be delivered, it yearns to be remade, to be renewed. And one day, uh, the Bible says God will create a new heaven and a new earth. He's gonna go back and create this earth in its original form, in my estimation. He started with mankind in the garden of paradise and it's gonna end up right as he planned it with mankind in the garden of paradise. So right now this earth is aging. It's getting older, it's declining like we all are. Romans 8 says creation groans. I can relate to that, do you groan a little bit? I started working out last week, believe me, I'm groaning right now. We groan, we groan. It's just part of the process. The earth right now, creation, the atmosphere, the ozone, you name it, everything is in decline. What is it, the second law of thermodynamics, entropy, is that the idea that everything is in decline, right? Well, if it's in decline, it's in decline from what? From some point, it had to start decline. That means at some point, everything was perfect. If everything is in decline, it's in decline from a starting point, and the starting point was the creation of the world. And since the creation and sin entered the picture, it's been in decline. But God says, don't sweat it, loosely translated. He says, I'm gonna recreate this world. It'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, pull out your tinfoil hats with me for a minute. I wanna tell you something. I think not only heaven is the central city that we'll occupy, but I think there'll be vast regions that are yet unexplored, unexplored that we're going to occupy in eternity. I believe that. God created everything. He created the earth. Uh, let me give you a, a proof text that will help you hang your thought on this. Uh, Isaiah chapter nine, verse seven. Uh, it's that great verse we quote at Christmas all the time, for unto us a child is born, that's Christmas. Unto us his son is given, that's Easter. And the government shall be on his shoulders, that's going to happen one day. And his name will be called Wonderful. One day every knee bows, every tongue confesses. Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then here's the verse, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. No end to the increase of government. What is God's government? It's his rule, it's his reign. 
Well, according to that verse, that rule and reign is ever expanding. How can government ever expand? How can the government of God expand? Well, government can only uh, expand two ways. It expands by taking over territory it did not previously control. Or it expands by creating new territory, which is humanly impossible. So the only way a government can expand is it has to take over uh, existing territory or it expands by creating new territory, humanly impossible but not impossible with God. What's my point? My point is I believe even beyond the city of God, this beautiful place called heaven, there will be absolutely opportunities for us to be able to explore the vastness of God's creation. Does that blow your hat in the creek? I mean, it's amazing to consider uh, in eternity all that God has in store for those who love him. Bible doesn't teach against that theory. I kind of believe that that's probably going to be a very strong possibility. We travel at the speed of thought. We're able to live eternally, free from sorrow, free from pain. What an amazing, incredible place, this celestial place called heaven. Let me wrap this up. So it is certain it is celestial. Here's a third thought. It is ceaseless. It is ceaseless. Never going to end. Something about eternity, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, God has put eternity in our hearts. There's a sense within all of us that we're going to live on somewhere, that we're going to be somewhere. When God in Genesis breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, man became an eternal soul, a living soul. Now, the body's not eternal. The body's temporal but the spirit and soul are eternal. I'm gonna get into that next week and we talk about the people of heaven. What are we gonna look like? What are our resurrected bodies gonna be like? Who's going to heaven? Do all dogs go to heaven? I'll get into that next week. (laughs) But I just wanna kind of wrap up what I'm talking to you about this morning by the idea heaven is ceaseless. It will never, ever end. What an incredible thought. In fact, when you read Hebrews chapter six, read verses 19 and 20 of Hebrews six. It says, we have this hope. What is the hope? The hope of heaven. And what does this hope do? We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Verse 20 says, it's been secured by the forerunner, which is Jesus. Now let me explain that and I'm gonna close. If you understood how they navigated the ancient mariners, you would understand that as they brought a ship to shore, Oftentimes, they would put the anchor in a little small vessel that they called a forerunner. By definition, a forerunner just means to go out in front. So this anchor would be in the little boat, the forerunner, and it would have a small crew in there, very strong men. They would roll the smaller vessel with the anchor, of course, with a rope attached to the ship to shore. And once they're there, they would take the anchor and secure it on the shore. Sometimes they would wrap it around a boulder, sometimes to a tree, but they would make it secure. And then the crew would go and they would take a hold of the rope. And as the captain was bringing the ship to shore, they would help guide the ship to shore. So the anchor was secured while the men pulled the rope, bringing the ship to shore. When the writer of Hebrews wrote, he had that imagery in mind. He said, when Jesus, the forerunner, the first fruits, when he came out of the grave, He took that hope, that hope of heaven. He took it with him into the throne of God and he secured it there. And for all of us who know Jesus, we're attached at the other end of that rope. My hope is not anchored down. My hope is anchored up.
It's anchored behind the veil. And you know what's happening every day that I live? On the other end of that rope, my Savior is just pulling me one day closer to home. Ladies and gentlemen, one of these days, you and I will step beyond the veil of tears. We're gonna step into the presence of our Savior whom we love and we've trusted. And we're going to see the hope that we have realized in the presence of Jesus. And for me, one of the most beautiful thoughts is one day, my family circle will not be broken. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. I pray for my friends this morning who may never have trusted you that this might be the moment when they humble their hearts and say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart and forgive my sin. I wanna walk out of this room with the hope of heaven. For others, Lord, they just need someone to encourage them and pray for them. I pray as soon as I dismiss, they'll find their way here to the front. Let one of these amazing people spend a few minutes here to pray over them and to pray with them. And Father, I walk out of this room with all my friends here today with a better understanding. One day we're gonna be in your presence. One day we're gonna be in a real place, a place called heaven. One day we'll worship you without doubt, without fear, without dread. You said in the book of Psalms when David wrote and said, when I awake in his presence, I'll be satisfied. Lord, on this side, it's been hard and heavy. A lot of times it gets tough. But we know one day when we awaken in your presence, we'll be satisfied. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.